Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. So it's wonderful to see all of you. Good morning once again. Uh, for the benefit of those who did not join us last night and also for those who were with us uh, last night, I want to do a very quick review and we'll get into all the material that we have for you this morning. Um, we try to introduce Archippus Awakening um, to people in a very simple way. We call it the one, two, three, and four. And I hope you remember what the one, two, three, four would be uh, from last night. One message, that's all we have. And if you, if you catch that message, wake up, Archippus. And it's not just wake up, Archippus. Wake up for what? Wake up to what? We want God to awaken us to the things that He has for us to do. Is that amen? Right? And so it's wake up, Archippus. Make sure you know what God has asked you to do and go and do it. And if you still don't know what that might be, no condemnation, but will you make it your preoccupation to just sit with Him, to wait upon Him, and to have your eyes open, your ears that will be open, your hearts that will be ready to receive, so that one day you will know, so that you can be faithful, and then you can fulfill it. Now, if you would catch that, then would you make that your message so that you can awaken another Archippus and would tell this brother and sister, wake up Archippus, will you make sure what God has asked you to do so that you can go do it and you can go fulfill it? And so help me, someone, can you say hi to Archippus next to you? Can you say good morning to an Archippus? Yeah, if you identify with that, say hello Archippus, good morning bro. Uh, Archipet if you're our sister. Archipling if you're less than 12 years old. One message. Everyone remember that? Okay. And there are two verses that we build, or at least we know our keepers from, very obscure. Uh, two small books, one small and one even smaller. And can you remember Bible memory time, friends? First one. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17. Say to our keepers, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And the second one, Philemon Two, wonderful, okay, you're paying attention, great. Philemon 2, very, very, very small book in the Bible, no chapters, just verses. And here, Archippus is addressed by his appointment, and he is a fellow soldier. My dear friends in Guam, you have a military base down here, amen? And I think uh, we were talking and interacting with some of you. Military jargon is not unfamiliar to you. You've seen soldiers come through, you have soldiers in the military service, you have people in the service, and I know that idea of soldiering and being in the army is not difficult. But I pray that God will begin, even through this day, to continue to awaken us, to realize we're not just family, brother and sister in Christ, we are also fellow soldiers of the Lord's army. And we are fellow soldiers. If you say, I'm our keepers, then you have to live ready and, and, and equipped uh, Pastor Mark mentioned that David just finished his military service, and we have this term called ORD, when we finish, okay? And it used to be ROD, which we call it the run-out date. That means your military service is run out, and you're all ready to run out, to go home. And so they changed it quite a few years ago. They called it, instead of R-O-D, they call it O-R-D. And it, it now stands for a different thing. It means to be operationally ready date. 
We are operationally ready as soldiers, which means if anything happens to Singapore, the soldiers must be ready operationally. My question for the church today is, are you operationally ready? And if you are, then we are ready to receive any assignment that the Lord gives to us, that we may be soldiers sent out on mission wherever He wants us to be and whatever He wants us to do. One message, two verses. Three words, you've got to know this one, it's there. Don't cheat, close your eyes. Everyone say with me the three words, ready? Let's go. Awaken, aligned, assigned. Simple to remember? Just the three A's, and that's our battle cry. It's a prophetic declaration, not just within our own hearts, but also into every locality and any region that the Lord sends us into. We want to declare, awakened, aligned, and assigned. Can you say once more with me? Prophetic voice, prophet voice, come on. Ready? And let's declare this. One, two, go. Awakened, aligned, assigned. We'll practice that a little bit more, and I pray that it gets into our spirits and our hearts so that we can speak into the lives of not just this church here, but every local community, and let Guam be awakened, aligned, and assigned for Jesus. Four traits. Now, that's a little bit more difficult now. Four traits, and they're all double A's. The first one, almost anonymous, but what? Mentioned by name. Mentioned by name. And so we're happy to be a nobody. We're almost anonymous. Our archipus is uh, this obscure person. And we're okay. We don't have to be some big star because Jesus is the superstar we want to proclaim, right? And so if you know your identity in Christ, I'm happy, almost anonymous. You can call me handsome. You can call me anything. You can call me archipus. Makes no difference to me. You know, when the Lord said, go awaken the church. And I was like, okay. And after I got scared, I started to ask him, Lord, who am I? Anyone asked that before? Who, who am I to be doing this? I mean, who am I to be standing in front of, of people, of pastors, uh, reverends, uh, wow, doctors and all that? And, and you just asked me to step down and to give up everything. Lord, I'm, I'm a nobody. And I could feel the Lord just gently rebuking. You know, God does that. And I, I, I could just feel His, His loving hand go, bish. <laughs> Have you felt that before? You know, when the Lord slaps you, it's still loving. Come on, yeah? You know, when the Lord slaps it, it's still loving. It goes, dish. And I'm like, oh. And it's, it's like the Spirit says to me, don't you get it? You need to be an archipus to awaken another archipus. You need to let them know that it's okay to be a nobody. You don't need this title, reverend. You don't need this title, pastor. All you need is the name of Jesus. Almost anonymous. But we are known by name and God has something prepared for each and every one of us. The second trade, if you are awakened and you're beginning to get aligned, you will be aware. That's another word for being awakened. You're aware. You start to see things that you've never seen before. God begins to speak things into your ears and you'll hear it like never before. I have this one phrase. When God shows you something, you cannot unsee what God shows you. It will just burn within your heart. It will just be right there in front of your face and you just can't get rid of it because you are aware and then now God begins to stir within your heart. You're aware, but you do not remain apathetic. You begin to beat with the heartbeat of the kingdom. What breaks the heart of Jesus will begin to break your heart. You can read the newspapers. You can look in the situation. God can drop something into your mind and it begins to stir and you're, that's a, the that's a start of an assignment. Let me tell you that. You may not know what it is. And you say, Lord, what is this? What is this? And then if you are open, God will begin to speak with you. You'll begin to bring people around you. 
and you begin to collaborate for the purposes of Jesus. You're aware, but not apathetic. The third one is that you begin to discern between a kingdom assignment and a Christian activity. And it's great that we have activities and we plan these things and so on. But friends, do you realize something? It's easier to sign up for an activity than it is to seek God for an assignment. Did you hear that? It's easier to sign up for an activity. I give you a list. I give you a Google form. And all you need is just key in and say, I've signed up. And that's good. That's all right. But you see, when you do that, someone is doing all the thinking for you. And as you mature, God wants to speak to you personally, intimately as a child, as his fellow soldier. And he says, look, will you seek me rather than just keep signing up for things? Because if you are busy with all the things that you have signed up for, when I'm giving you an assignment, it could stare you in the face and you could miss it. And you have to learn, journey with the leaders, talk with your kingdom partners, process this. Because if the devil can't get us in other ways, he will get us with distraction. And it's so easy for us to miss the things of God. The fourth thing is that you will be anything but aimless. If you know it's a kingdom assignment, then you're living not just for church, not just for, you know, the, 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 the things that keep you um, busy, you're happy, you're doing something, you know, you're feeling important. That's nice. That's a fringe benefit. But if you're living for Jesus, it's a different life. When difficult people come, when situations become challenging, you go on. And if you have to die doing it, you die doing it. You know, last night I was teasing uh, life group leaders, right? And are you still here? Have you forgiven me? Do you love me still? Can I, can I jab at you one more time? You know, and so you know, life group leaders, if you are if you're serving Jesus on a kingdom assignment, would you die for your life group members? Oh. Would you die for your cell group members? Oh no, no, come on. I mean, Hanson, you're stretching it too far. Okay, let's sound spiritual. Will you die for Jesus? If we say yes and Jesus says, lead this group, will you die for these people? Because when you're when you're serving on a kingdom assignment, whatever happens, you continue until the Lord changes course for you. You know, in the military, when we talk about defense, attack is one thing, defense is crazy. You take an, an, a, a hill or a mountain or a hill, you know, and, and you defend that position. You know, in a military, when a commander says you defend, you defend. And you can go back and let's say if the, if the, if the opposing, the attacking force is overpowering you, you can send up a request up to higher command and say, sir, can we pull out? And the sir says, you defend. Sir, can we pull out? We are overrun. No, you defend until the last man. You die on assignment. That's what it means to be on kingdom assignment. It's not a plaything. <laughs> it's not a rah-rah, yay, let's go, amen, Jesus. If we die, we die. And that aim, aimfulness in your living is not just for this life, it's for eternity. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Because when we meet Jesus, we give account for what He has given us to do. Praise the Lord. I'm going to run a short video for you. And I hope that this video will inspire you, will help you. This is a video that's new. I know Pastor Mark has been sharing a little bit of our introductory videos. But for our fourth anniversary, we put this video together. We said, what does it look like to be an archipus? How do we frame something with uh, the four traits? If you get onto our website, you'll call this the archipus affirmation. 
If I affirm myself as an archipus, how do I live? What do I stand for? What are the things that would hold me? So this is like um, the Nicene Creed, but in Archippian style. And so let me step aside and you watch this. And I pray that as you, as you listen to this and see the words up there, the Archippian affirmation, something will stir within you. You say, I want to live like that. That's going to be me. I, I, I am Archippus. Amen? All right, let's run that video. I am Archippus. I may be almost anonymous, but I'm fully known by name and I found grace in God's sight. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, created in His image, saved and called according to His purpose and grace. I am aware of the signs and urgency of the times. The days are evil and the time is short. I will not live as one who is apathetic, but will walk wisely and circumspectly, filled with the Spirit, knowing His Word, understanding the will of the Lord, making the most of every opportunity and participating in the advancement of His Kingdom. I will always determine to know my God-given Kingdom assignment in every season, that I may be faithful to fulfill it in my area of influence. I will discern between Christian activity and Kingdom assignment, appreciating that busyness does not necessarily mean fruitfulness. I will not be distracted by anything that will cause me to miss my assignment, that which has already been prepared for me beforehand. I am anything but aimless. I will be clear and focused on what the Lord has assigned to me. Each day is filled with purpose and adventure, journeying with and relying wholly on Jesus. For apart from Him, I will not be fruitful. Thus I shall run the race with certainty and resolve, with perseverance and endurance, looking to the prize I shall receive when I one day stand before my Lord and judge Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be an archivist, and I gladly join the ranks of others who, like me, desire to please my master and to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Our readiness is determined by our faithfulness. We will gather to encourage, exhort, and edify one another. We will train and run together, spurring each other on, laying aside every weight and sin, eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I am Archippus. 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 Awaken, align, assign. Amen to that. You can find this video on our YouTube channel or on our website. And feel free just to share it because we want to awaken as many archipuses as possible. And if you identify yourself as one, just, just hashtag, you know, I am archipus. <laughs> um, and let's make use of technology. Let's make use of the internet. Why let the devil have all the fun? Amen? Yeah, and if you say, I'm Archippus, and that's always a good conversation starter, huh? What's Archippus? Archippus? And then you start to say, let me tell you, sit down, one, two, three, four. And you begin to share with them. I better start on the second session. I have not started yet. <laughs> this morning, we want to talk about staying awake. You see, to be awakened is one thing, but to stay awake is another. 
And as much as I am excited and encouraged, last night we heard positive response to the message. And I'm, I'm thrilled about that. But I also know that waking up is one thing. Staying awake for the long haul is another. And so will you join me? Let's pray as we get into this session this morning. Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, we just bless you. Lord Jesus, we just give you all glory and all, all, all honor and all power, oh God. We know, Lord, that you're here present with us. We know that you are with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And you've already begun to work in the lives of your people. So, Lord, will you just enable your servant this morning, just continue to, to ride upon that anointing, Lord, because in the end, you do everything and you receive all glory. And so be with me and be with my brothers and sisters, Lord. Let us enjoy this time learning together and spurring each other on. Because as our keepers, Lord, we know we are nothing apart from you. And so we thank you. We give this time over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last night I shared with you a picture of the almond tree. If you remember this, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 uh, gives me the very first notion of an awakening. This tree is called the awake tree. The very first tree that will blossom uh, at the end of winter, at the beginning of spring. And in the Hebrew word, it just means uh, to awake, to get up, and to be aware, and to see things. I didn't finish, I didn't stop at reading 11 and 12. What I continued, I continued with verse 13 onwards. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. And here it goes again. What do you see? I love these four words. God speaks to me in pictures. He speaks, he speaks to me in symbols. Sometimes driving along the road, he could just point out something to me and he'll ask me, what do you see? And as you begin to see it in the spirit, in the mind's eye, in the, heart, uh, in the eyes of the heart being enlightened, God will show you things about the kingdom and he drops a message within you. Jeremiah answers, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. Now, of course, the Lord then explains to him, out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. And if you continue on, you know that Jeremiah has given a word, a very difficult word to declare to his people in Israel. Jeremiah would have this unenviable task of having to tell his people, excuse me, guys, you've got to get a line. You, you have got to get ready. Uh, things are not going to be good. There's going to be an invasion that will come upon you, and you've got to hear me out because I am the Lord's mouthpiece, and I'm speaking the truth. What is going to be his challenge would be the people will look at him and say, come on, Jeremiah, you're being too fanatical. You're being too extreme. I mean, come on, what, what bad can happen to us? We are in the land. We are God's covenant people. What bad thing can happen to us? Uh, the Lord will be with us. The Lord will never forsake us. You know? The Lord will never this and that. And amen, amen, hallelujah. And, and Jeremiah says, no, come on, you know, read, read, hear what the Lord is saying. The other prophets will say, peace, peace, when there will be no peace. Jeremiah would not be popular. It will not be easy. As I looked at this, and I, if you know your Bible history, this prophecy came true in the time of Jeremiah. The Babylonians came in, and God took the people out. There was this invasion that came from the north. 
But as I sat there, as I reflected upon this couple of verses, I said, Lord, what are you actually saying to me? First, you tell me there's an awakening. What has this got to do with anything of the awakening that you're doing? Isn't it going to be a good thing? Isn't that going to be a revival? Isn't that what the church is always praying for? And he says, son, as you look at this, there will be another, although this was prophesied and fulfilled, there, has, there will be another invasion that comes from the north. And you know, there's another Bible prophecy that has not been fulfilled. Are you familiar with this one? If you are a prophecy chaser, we've got lots of that in Singapore. People who are chasing prophecy, you might be familiar with Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. All the prophetic people, depending on how you see whether they're prophetic or pathetic, <laughs> I believe in prophecy, friends. Okay, I'm just concerned because sometimes prophecy can be stretched to such an extreme, it can be abused. And I'm worried about that because we need the Word of God to anchor us, even as we hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And this was brought to my heart in Ezekiel chapter 38, 39. You can go back and read these two chapters. All eyes are trained on the Middle East. There'll be a coalition of forces again that will come together in the last days. And it will come upon Israel. And where will they come from? From the, from the north. There'll be another invasion that comes from the north. Let me read this to you. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. When will it happen? Everyone read together. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I'm hallowed in you, O God, before my eyes. God will be glorified. God can use anyone he wants to use. And God will accomplish his purposes. I look at these two prophecies and they seem to be like a parallel down there. And I think there's a message that we have to take note of and not miss it. There's going to be like another invasion. We don't know when it's going to be. But it will happen in the final days, in the latter days. And I realize the significance of this message that the Lord is saying, why this awakening is important. Our keepers awakening is about the 11th hour. It's about the final hours, the final moments. And the Lord is making a different move in these final hours and final times of church, the church age. And he's saying, I'm going to awaken my people because they're not ready. They're not ready. And I need to bring them up because this is not a message of condemnation. This is always a message of grace because by his grace, he wants his people. God doesn't have to do anything. He's already given everything in the Bible. He's given his people. He's given his messengers. And if we still miss it, we cannot say, God, you didn't tell us. But our God is a gracious and a loving God. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on anything. And he doesn't want anyone to be not ready. And so I understood immediately that this message of awakening is really an 11th hour message. And if you can look at the clock that was there, you look at this logo that is there. As an advertising man, you know, branding is important. And so when I got these two words, our keepers awakening, one morning I sat at my desk and I said, Lord, how should I design this logo? And I tell you, I'm not a designer. I'm a strategist. I'm a marketer. I've been exposed to a little bit of design in running the creative team. I see certain things in my head, but really, I, I can't really draw. 
Um, and I just sat there, and being a teacher, you know how it can overcomplicate things. Don't say amen to that. <laughs> and a logo has to be simple, you know, like Nike, just do it. I sat there, and the Lord started to show me this orange arc. And I know what he was saying. This orange arc, if you look at your watch, if you look at the clock, represents the last quarter of time. We are in those final hours. I don't know what time it is. Please don't ask me. I say it's in the final hours. The apostle John was not as kind. In 1 John, he says, little children, don't you know this is the last hour? If 2,000 years ago, there was the last hour, 2,000 years later, we are in the last hour. Come on, amen. I don't know, you think we still have time. Man, we are in the last of the last hours now. I don't know when it is. All I know that it's the 11th hour. We've got to wake as many people as we can. And I'm not talking salvation. Man, do that. Go save people, amen. Go save them. But after they are saved, what? Do we still have a, let's get them saved, sit in church and wait for heaven mentality? There's work to be done. And the time is short. If you look at the orange arc, it also looks like a little sunrise. Where we stay in Santa Fe, all I've been seeing is sunsets. But it looks like a little sunrise. And if you look at this sunrise, this mor one morning I, I woke up from my house and we face the east. And I snapped this picture and I realized, Lord, this is exactly like the logo that we have designed. It's like a sunrise, and do you realize that, you know, in the Bible, it talks about midnight hour, and that when the sun begins to rise, now you got to wake up. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch, and there's that word again, watch, which means to be awake. You can't watch with your eyes closed. You've got to be awakened to be able to watch and be sober because you know things are happening at a very different pace today. And Archippus' awakening is a final hour, an 11th hour type of a declaration. I'm challenging everyone. Do you know when you read the epistles, when you look at the gospels, Jesus always told the people, I'm coming soon. The apostles lived with the coming in mind. It's almost like going to be any time. And that's why they were ready just to dispense with everything because they knew Jesus was coming. 2,000 years later, perhaps we have lost a little bit of that urgency. You want to stay awake? You have to have the eschatology mindset, the last days mindset. You take away this end times framework, I, I'm going to say to you, it's so easy to fall back into slumber. If you're awakened, then you start to see things and look at the signs of the times. Don't, don't just be in, on your island here. Today with internet, we have no excuse. We know what's happening. Just be careful, it's not fake news. But if you know what's happening around you, you know globally, globally things are shifting. 2018 is so significant. I, I, I can't imagine, you know, so many things has happened here. When we booked this um, seminar together with Pastor Mark to be here in Guam, we were praying, oh Lord, let North Korea not bomb Guam. <laughs> God answered our prayer. 
President Trump now good friends with Kim. And do you know now they have a bromance? Do you hear him reporting? He said, no, we fell in love. We've got to be careful with that line, actually. Yeah. So I said, thank you, Lord. We're going to be here. They're not going to bomb Guam. 2018, United States shifts the Jerusalem uh, embassy, U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. 2018, 70 years since modern Israel was reborn. See, things are happening. I don't know what else is going to happen. But do we watch these and start to, don't, don't be a prophetic freak, but you know, just see what's happening. Be aware. I said, Lord, if things are shifting, are you plugging in to what God is doing? And Guam will have your own mission, your own assignments. You don't have to worry about the rest. But you're seeing a time clock shift. Just a month ago, I'm going to show you a new picture. Even my team has not seen this before. You're the first ones, my friends in Guam. If you look at this, I know it doesn't look very clear. I walked into a conference room. I was, having a, I was going to have a lunch with a pastor who has heard about this ministry. He said, come in. I want to get to know you a little bit more. I want to talk to you. Walk into this conference room, and I see this, um, this chart that is hanging on the wall. And I was very curious because something drew me to it first. And I walk closer. If you look on the top there, the title actually says, um, A World History Chart. And from a biblical perspective, right on the vertical, if you see down there, there's a time of creation, Adam. And it will track biblical happenings and match it with global happenings all the way through. And if you follow the clock, or follow the timeline of the history chart, it goes all the way, and suddenly it stops here, like a 9 o'clock position or 9.30 position, and that's the 20,000 or where we are at this point now, 2018. And I'm going to enlarge this for you, and if you keep your eyes on the screen, this was what attracted me. From now to the end of time in that sense, if we are going to just complete the entire cycle, friends, we're in the final hours. We're in the final hours. You have a decision to make. Do you want to make it count? Do you want to do what God is doing? Because I think there's an escalation. With internet, with technology, with whatever it is, God's going to turn it around for His good. He's going to connect us in different countries. He's going to collaborate His kingdom people. We're not going to live in isolation. We're not going to fight about denominational lines anymore. We're willing to put all these things one side because it's for the kingdom and it's for Jesus. It's got to be that. I praise God for distinctives. I mean, I was born, raised as a, as a Methodist in the church. And the Lord, you know, as I was preparing even for, to, to get into full-time ministry, if God did not deflect me, I would be wearing a black shirt with a white collar. Nothing wrong with that also, but I believe the Lord pulled me out. He said, son, I want you to see something else. The church is much larger than the little hall you worship in. The body of Christ is so much bigger. You ain't seen the kingdom of God yet. Oh man, today we are looking. So many people love Jesus. It's exciting. And your assignments may be within a community. Your assignments may be without outside in the community. But we are in the final days. And if you do not recover this in your heart, things will overtake you. Distractions will overtake you. And you will miss 
what the Lord is wanting to say to you. I'm going to show you one more picture, which is an interesting one, and I think it will mean something to you. This picture, have you seen this before? This was shared with me about one and a half, yeah, one and a half years ago, I think. Um, and this is not a biblical, uh, no, not a Bible Christian uh, organization. These are a bunch of scientists that have come up with this, what they call the doomsday clock. That they are trying to project how close we are to the world ending by a catastrophe. And at that point in time, it was a nuclear explosion thing. So they started this in about 1950s after the Second World War. And I, Pastor Mark just told me that the nuclear bomb actually came out from this region, right? They used one of the islands to, to propel or to launch into somewhere else. And so the clock has been shifted, you know, two minutes to the end, three minutes to the end, four minutes to the end. And this article someone sends to me and they, they say, well, they, move it, they just move it 30 seconds closer to midnight. And you know when this happened? When Trump got elected. He thought, wow, this crazy guy, <laughs> you know, love him or hate him. I don't know which one you, <laughs> you side you're on. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but you know he can say things, right? And they thought, man, he's going he's gonna to make such a mistake and, and Kim is going to press the button and he's going to press the button and everyone's going to press the button and it's like, boom, Jesus comes. <laughs> and my friend saw this picture, he sent to me, he says, does it look familiar? I said, oh man, they copied us. <laughs> See, the world is talking about it. The church has the answer. Amen. But we have to be awakened. We have to be aligned. And we must be assigned. See, I'm giving you this context. Because I want you to now go to your Bible if you turn with me. In Colossians, the end of... Um, in chapter 4, last night I, I read to you chapter 4, verse 17, that one verse that leapt at me. After I received the message, I did due diligence. I went back to my Bible and I said, Lord, I want to read the context. I don't want to make a theology or a doctrine or a message of space on one verse. I'm going to be speaking to churches, and I know that they are people of the Word. And so I want to be responsible as I study this. Will you show me something out of your Word? So I started to read from verse 7 all the way to the end in verse 18, but verse 18 is just a bye, you know, I'm signing off, so I don't include that. And I began to see that there are three sections, and I broadly entitled this called the Colossian Commendation, the Laodicean Context, and the Archipian Charge. I'm going to leave you to study it, but let me give you some broad strokes. In the, why do I call it the Colossian um, Commendation? See, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, to commend them for their faithfulness. You will see in chapter one early, it says, I give thanks to the Lord for all of you, right? Because you have been faithful, you have been fruitful in the things that you've been doing. Certain things I need to bring to correction, but hey, generally you have been faithful. And from verse seven onwards, you will see names of Achaepian significance. Names which we don't normally preach about or we may not be familiar with. For example, Tychicus. Uh, verse nine, Onesimus. Verse 10, Aristarchus, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice. Verse 12, Epaphras. 
And these are names like Archippus. Every time a name is mentioned, you'll realize Paul will commend them for their faithfulness for an assignment that they had fulfilled. So this is a Colossian commendation as he closes this book. And they're all like Archippus's. But when we come to verse 15, suddenly he switches the scene from the city of Colossae, he switches to Laodicea, which is a neighboring uh, place. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, Nymphus in the church that is in his house. And here comes verse 16, which again, you know, I've read Colossians a few times, and somehow I've, I've always skimmed this verse. And that morning, that I, I, when I, day when I read it once more, again, it spoke to me. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Wow, it was like a first time I was reading this, and in my heart, you know, I'm a questioning guy. I asked this one question again, Lord, what, what letter to Laodicea? I don't know any letter to, to the church in Laodicea. I know there's Galatians, there's Ephesians, there's Philippians, there's Romans. I don't see a Laodiceans. Now, if you Google, you might say, no, 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 Hanson, there's a book called uh, Paul's Letter, the Epistle to Laodiceans. That's not canonized. They don't consider that as an accurate letter. And so I said, Lord, I, I don't know this letter to the church in Laodicea. And the moment I whispered that in my heart, the Spirit just spoke a few words and He said, yes, you do. And I just knew which letter He was referring to. There's only one letter to the church in Laodicea that's canonized in Scripture for us. I'm not saying this is the letter that Paul referred to, but prophetically in the Bible and Scripture that we hold to be inerrant, this is the only reference that we have. Would that be okay? And if you know your Bible, there's only one book that contains a letter to the church in Laodicea. Come on, friends, where, where do you find it? Revelation. And so we're going to do a little detour. We're going to get to the book in Revelation, and we'll read that seventh letter to the seventh church. I call this the Laodicean context. Stay with me. I think this is important. From chapter 3, verses 14, all the way to 22, I think you would be familiar with this passage there's a nickname for this church. What kind of a church is this? It's a lukewarm church. Do you use that term down here? Yeah, when we talk about someone uh, who is less than ideal as a, as a Christian, and we seem to address a certain person more than a congregation, but this is really given to a congregation, an assembly called the church in Laodicea. And I used to think someone who is lukewarm is someone who does nothing. And the Lord showed me the first four works, four words. Jesus said with his assessment, I know your works. I said, wait, hang on. If they are lukewarm, they would have no works. And I said, that's where, you see, you have been listening to by impression. You have been listening to what you think you understand about the Bible. But once you read things, God begins to show you new things. He says, no, son, you're wrong. They had works, but there was an issue with the works. I said, okay, I'm listening now, Lord. So Jesus says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but then you're lukewarm. So there are three temperature groups that we see here. There's a hot category, there's a cold category, and there's a lukewarm category. And we know in terms of temperature, we will see it as three different groups. Let me ask you a simple question, and will you respond to me? Firstly, how many of you would like to be lukewarm for Jesus? I didn't think so. 
How many of you would like to be called for Jesus? I, I didn't think so. You know the next question now? How many of you would love to be hot for Jesus? Amen, right? Okay, and, and this is the typical understanding that we've had, and I've heard it preached before. If you look at some of the internet pictures, I picked this out. Just be careful what you see in the, in the internet. I'm going to share with you some impressions of what, how this verse has been taught or preached, but I'm going to give you a perspective I believe will be biblical, and I want you to hang on for that. You see, when we look at these pictures, some will say usually to be hot for Jesus means to be on fire. If you're of, of Pentecostal and charismatic orientation, you must even say fire with a different focus. Fire. <laughs> and I know we, don't want, we, we want to be hot for Jesus. We want to be burning and passionate for Christ. But then we look at cold and we think, ah, oh, we don't want to be cold, ice, you know. If, there's always this joke, right? The frozen chosen. <laughs> we, we don't want to be cold, you know. And Jesus says, I wish it were hot and we call. And he says, Lord, well, why, why hot or cold? Oh, because if you're hot, everybody knows you're, Christ, uh, you're, you're for Jesus and you bring glory to his name. Hallelujah. But if you're cold for Jesus, that's also okay because nobody knows you're Jesus people and then it's all right. You don't bring any shame to Jesus' name. But if you are lukewarm, oh, yes, I'm a great pretender. They say, I am a Jesus person. They look at you and say, I don't want to be a Christian like that. And say, no, 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 don't be lukewarm. And then there's another picture that we see of a, of a petrol tank. If your heart means you are full tank for Jesus, perhaps they are saying you're full of the Holy Ghost. But if you're cold, then you're empty and you can't run on empty. But if you're lukewarm, you're only half tank, half filled. My problem with this picture is that with half tank, I can still go very fast. So what's wrong with a half tank? I don't know about you, whether you have heard some of these teachings before. I've been exposed to it. I must confess that I used to also hold to this position. But can I submit to you that these are inaccurate where the interpretation is concerned? And so I want to show you from a biblical perspective, from a cultural standpoint. See, when Jesus spoke about being hot, cold, or lukewarm, he was using pictures that, was, that were easily identifiable for, for in, in the days of his listeners. They didn't have to look at a commentary. They didn't have to do research to find out what Jesus was talking about. They would have understood it immediately, yes? And so if you look at the, re, the map that is there in front of you, you will see three cities that are always mentioned together in that region. It's like maybe today when you talk about Guam and the different islands that are, are put together, you're in one region. You have Colossae, you have Hierapolis, and you have Laodicea. Hierapolis has natural hot springs. Colossae had natural cold springs. And the pipe that you see there, those are, those are ancient engineering pipes. I mean, what a feat. And they ran above the ground. They will pipe the waters in to the city of Laodicea. Now, you and I know if you've been ever to a spa, you would want to go to a you want to soak in a hot tub, and in the hot waters, you feel relief. It brings therapeutic effect, yes or no, right? And it feels good, it heals, it soothes your muscles, it helps you to relax, and there's a therapeutic effect that is there if it's hot water. But at the same time, if you've been to places like Japan or even to Europe, 
They have cold spas. Have you heard of this before? I don't know how they do it, but they are willing to get into ice cold water and they will soak in ice water and it's just like the hot waters, but for a different reason, it brings therapy, it brings healing also. And the point we need to notice, the hot waters, we know it's a good picture. But understanding this picture now, the cold waters, would it be good or bad? They're also good because it served a purpose and a function for which it was meant to do and to fulfill. But when they piped these waters into Laodicea, the hot springs, by the time it got to Laodicea, would cool down and it became lukewarm. And because it was not entirely hygienic, it would pick up the impurities and the calcification of those pipes along the way, and sometimes it got so dirty and it was lukewarm, when someone would take it and drink it, it was nauseating to that person. The person would spit it out of his mouth. And that's why Jesus said, I wish you were hot and not lukewarm. I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. It's nauseating. Same thing with the cold waters. When it was piped all the way into Laodicea, it would warm up to a certain temperature because of the energy and the speed there. And it was lukewarm. It lost its properties of healing. And it was dirty. And someone who takes it again, lukewarm, nauseating, spit it out of their mouths. When I had this discovery and this understanding, and the funny thing is commentaries write about it, cultural commentaries write about it, but somehow we have missed this teaching in the church. Hot is good, friends. Cold is good. That's why Jesus says, I wish you were hot and I wish you were cold. Why would Jesus want you to be a Christian and be an undercover one and nobody sees you at all? No, Jesus wants you to be hot so that you bring healing, you bring therapy. Jesus wants you to be cold because in a different situation, you are still effective in a different way. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. But if you are lukewarm, then you are not effective for what He has created you to be. Hallelujah, amen? So don't be lukewarm. You be hot. You be cold. And if you want to remember which is which, Hierapolis, let me give you a hint. Begins with the letter H. What water do you get? Hot water. Colosseo begins with the letter C. What water do you get? Cold. Laodicea begins with the letter L. Lukewarm. You're welcome. <laughs> Can you remember this now? Hierapolis, hot. Colosseo, cold. Laodicea, lukewarm. Works only in English. Come on, friends. How many of you want to be hot for Jesus? Amen. How many of you don't mind being cold for Jesus now? You understand? Some of you are like, no, no, no. Cold is bad. Cold is bad. Renew the mind. I don't care whether we are hot or cold. Let's be effective for Jesus, you see. See, the Laodiceans had works, but they were not effective. The Bible tells us in... Oh, wait, hang on. Before I get there, let me show you one more picture just to drive home this point. Any sports persons down here? Does this look familiar to you? Yes? When you have an injury and you have this hot or cold pack, have you ever used something like that before? Yeah? You take the hot pack or you take the pack, you either, you either heat it in the microwave or put it in the boiling water and it's a hot pack and you go, oh, that feels really good. Or you have a sprain somewhere or I can't remember what injury that is. You put it in the freezer and it's, it comes out freezing cold and you need that because you need to ice it. Yes? So you use this pack, either hot or cold. Would you put it on a table and it's lukewarm and you take it and you go, oh, that feels really good. <laughs> Are you getting the picture? Yes. 
Yeah? Okay, and you, if, you, if you can't understand uh, Revelations 3, can you remember this gel pack? So we are either hot or we are cold. We don't want to be lukewarm. I pray that in every situation when we get in, they will use us as this hot pack. And man, we manifest the glory of Jesus. You don't, take, you don't want to take a Christian and you put it down there and go, hey, nothing, eh? <laughs> and you don't want people to be coming to church or encountering you and it's like a nauseating feeling to be around Christians. Oh. <laughs> Amen? You see, this is about kingdom assignments. It's about knowing what you need to be doing and be effective in what you are doing. Jesus gave a corporate assessment. After that, he gave a divine revelation. That this is, wow, this is something you listen to and you go, ouch. He says, you think you are rich. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. That's what you think you are. That's what the, Jesus was saying to the church in Laodicea. Do you not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked? Oh, this is an ouch statement. Can you imagine if Jesus comes to our church and he goes, wow, Jesus, I'm having a Bible study. Oh, man, we're having revelations. Oh, man, we're doing this. Oh, man, we're that. And Jesus says, well, you think you're doing a lot. Can I tell you really how you are? Oh, that's painful. Say, don't, don't do all these things. The question is, are you effective? Are you effective? Are you doing what I'm asking you to do? I, I'm, I'm not impressed with your busyness. I'm all for faithfulness. And so he says, I counsel you, buy from me all these things. Because really, truly, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And can I add one word? You're asleep. I'm so thankful these are the words of Jesus. It's not from me. I love you guys. <laughs> Amen? And we should hear what the Lord is really wanting to say because at the end, His word counts. It's not what I say, it's what he says, right at the end. And then in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And when we come to verse 20, Terry, you preached this already. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, everyone say one. Anyone. One. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Let me ask you, friends, when do we normally hear this verse being preached? At salvation, amen? At evangelist, uh, evangelistic meetings. Oh, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart now. If you open this door, you will come in and you'll be saved and so on. No, it's okay. People get saved. Fine. But... This, let, this line was written to believers or non-believers? Believers. But we're preaching it to unbelievers. And it's okay, God can save anyone by His sovereign grace in spite of our bad biblical hermeneutics. He doesn't wait for us to get it right before He does it right, amen? And I praise God for every life that is saved and you know it's not because of us. It's because of Jesus. You know what's my concern? My concern is believers think this verse is for unbelievers and the believers don't respond anymore. And Jesus can be standing at the door of our church, your church, your heart, and he's saying, come on, our keepers, will you wake up? 
Uh, keep us, come on, don't be lukewarm. Don't be swamped with all the busy things and think that you're doing good and checking off those boxes. I want you to be effective, and you've got to be effective if only you will hear from me. And I love the way the Lord speaks because he always declares it corporately, but he always invites personally. Hallelujah. And so I was so thrilled when, when Pastor Terry stood up just now. I said, since this is what the Lord is saying, if there's only just one person in Guam who will be there, I'll keep us awakened and aligned and assigned. God can do so much through you. But I know there's going to be just one. See, the word of our keepers awakening is also a corporate declaration to the body of Christ, but it's a personal invitation to every keepers. So I can speak to a hall that is full, my eye would always train upon one person called keepers. And I want you to be awakened, keepers. I want you to be awakened, keepers. I want you to be awakened, keepers. Don't look around next to you who's asleep, Who's awake? What are they doing? If you are awakened, will you say, yes, Lord? You see, it's a corporate declaration to the body of Christ, but I'm realistic. I know not everyone's going to respond. I wish you would. But that I keep in charge, as you see, we put it back now into Colossians. You start to see the context. There's a Colossian commendation, and if I can just use by illustration, if you're the church in Colossae, and Paul is writing to you and says, well done, Tychicus, Apophras, so on, well done. Then he switches over to this side and he says, okay, let's look at Laodicea now. Make sure that this letter that's written to Colossae, you make sure you read those letters down here. And then Colossae, please just don't hang in there. Read also the letter from Laodicea, exchange letters. It's almost like saying you're faithful today doesn't mean you'll be faithful tomorrow. If you're awakened today, doesn't mean you'll be awake tomorrow, amen? Now, I want you to look across and you say, if that's a Laodicean church, and if it's a lukewarm, Lord, help me that I don't get into that part. You don't judge them, but you judge yourself. Then you go to the church in Laodicea and you say, come on, guys, you know, if, if you're lukewarm and it's fruitless, but you're doing so busy things, so many busy things, will you look over the color and say, that's what faithfulness looks like. And you have a choice to make. You can be hot and cold today, and you don't have to stay lukewarm. And suddenly the Holy Spirit drops something in the heart of Paul. He says, talk to our keepers. He's somewhere like standing in the center. He goes, our keepers, you have a choice. You want to be like Colossae, or you want to be like Laodicea? Will you take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord? Fulfill it. Because you can swing either way, and I'd rather you choose the correct way. And so I call this the Colossian Commendation. Understand the Laodicean context so that we can see the place of Archippus, a personal reminder to every individual down here. And in the final days, you know, Bible commenters, speakers, somehow you can, you can interpret Revelation in so many different ways. But the church in the end times, it's often referred to as a lukewarm church. And I pray that this church will be awakened, aligned, assigned for Jesus. My time is running out. I just have a few more things just to throw at you if you can bear with me, and then we'll take a break. As I did this research and I came across this understanding, I came to this article by Steve Hill. He has since passed away. 
He wrote this book called The Spiritual Avalanche, and you can pick it up in your bookstores. But one article that Charisma carried uh, resounded within my heart. He wrote that the church is in complacent slumber, and of course, he was referring to the American church. Each time I share this in Singapore, I would say, let's be fair, this is the American context, but we have to ask ourselves, are we in that same position? It's the first time I'm preaching in an American church, in an American context, and I submit this to you for your own evaluation. He says that there are seven things that's keeping the church in slumber. You can preach this for another series, but we're seeing this all over the world. Even in Singapore, we struggle with this. The first is the overemphasis on prosperity. Do you have that here? I'm not about Guam, but I know in certain places, yes. In Singapore, we have the same issue. We are a materially blessed nation, and we have to be very careful to think that that's an indicator, or rather that's the only indicator of the blessing of God, prosperity in the material sense. Secondly, we have our own brand of an exaggerated view of grace, and we call it hyper-grace. I'm all for grace, I'll share that later, but when we stretch it to an extreme, it can be dangerous. Antinomianism, just a big word that means against the law, which means that says that you are now under grace, you're no longer the law, let's throw the law out. That cannot be further from the truth. Every covenant has law. The only difference is that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit today. There's a deification of man, which means man becomes the center of the universe. It's always me. I, me, myself, the unholy trinity. And God seems to be there to serve us more than we are here to serve Him. There is also the challenge of the authority of the Word because of postmodern understanding is not what the Word says, it's what do you think. What's truth to you today? Oh, you don't like it? Never mind. You create your own truth. The Bible can be interpreted in different ways. Rejecting hell. You have a very strong promoter here. His name is called Rob Bell. And he talks about Rejected. There's no such thing as hell. Hell is just a, 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 a thing of the mind. There's no physical place. Friends, I got bad news for you. If you don't believe in hell, don't believe in heaven. There's no point telling people they're going to heaven if there's no such thing as hell. You cannot take one and remove the other. There's this whole thing about universal, re universal reconciliation, which really says Jesus died for all, and yes, he did. And because he died for all, all will be saved. You don't have to declare anything. One day, everyone is going to hold hands, sing Kumbaya, and we'll be, you're going to be fine. That's universal reconciliation. And a one-world religion seems to be moving towards this. But of course, this is one person that has given us some of these uh, pointers. We want to hear the words of Jesus as we close. In Matthew chapter 24, the, uh, and on the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked Jesus a very simple question. When, what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus said to them. In Matthew chapter 24, he lists a few things. And we are seeing these things happen at a more alarming rate these days. Uh, just before coming here, there's been a series of typhoons, earthquakes, and you might be more familiar to it than we are as Singaporeans. But around our region, earthquakes are just shaking all over the place now. I just heard that there's one that's going to be tremoring and coming uh, on, online uh, in the church uh, in, the, in, the, in the country of Indonesia. And things are happening, birth pangs as we understand this. And his whole list is just down there. He says, these are the signs 
Don't get too used to it. Don't get numb to it. But these are the things, as you look at all these things, get ready. Get ready. I'm coming. I'm coming. And then after that, as you, you look at all these end times things, if you want to fill this place, just have, a, just have an end times conference. I don't know. In Singapore, we love the end times somehow. I don't know how ready we are for it, but we love to have prophets come in and tell us, this is what's happening in Israel, this is what's happening in the Middle East, this is what's happening to Russia, this is the mark of the beast, this is how it's going to be, and da, 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 da. And after they walk out, everyone is trembling and so scared and don't know what to do. And it's good, I say, have a healthy understanding of what the end times is all about. But in Singapore, again, I always use my country because I know it best. Because we are, we are such a financial hub. Everyone is so worried, when is the economy going to crash? What do I do about the end times? Do I buy gold? Do I buy silver? You know, there was a time when everyone was pushing gold. And then you have, so do I invest in my stocks? Do I sell stocks? Do I buy stocks? And I look at the Bible and Jesus doesn't say anything about that in Matthew chapter 24. <laughs> Nothing material. And so we ask all these questions. It's all, oh, no, 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 end times, you got to know. There's a one world government that's forming. If you're of the conspiracy theory, that could be it also, the Illuminati. And yeah, it's, 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 it alludes to that in the book of Revelation. I'm not saying it's wrong, but we're seeing things also happening. So it's a one world government. Oh, yeah, we've got to be careful. It's got to be this, got to, and we live in so much fear. And Jesus actually says, do not fear. And I, I, I think we are, we're looking and focusing on the wrong things. Then we say, okay, the end is coming. We don't know when the end is coming. Oh dear, oh dear. Okay, uh, what's the mark of the beast? Uh, when's the rapture going to happen? Friends, if I tell you you're not ready, why do you want the rapture to happen? <laughs> what's the mark of the beast? Who's going to be the Antichrist? Okay, so you know the Antichrist. So what? And so the, the, oh, the end is coming. Oh Lord, help us. You know? Then we put our heads and bury under the sand with our butts sticking up high. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, I'm not saying these are bad questions. These are good questions I think you can ask. It's questions how you respond. The most important question for all of us to ask when we look at end times is only one question. Are you ready? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Are you ready? And I know if I ask a Christian, are you ready? Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I say, have you read Matthew chapter 24? Jesus never said anything about that in Matthew chapter 24. It's presumed. You are believers, you are disciples. Then he tells the disciples what readiness actually means. He goes on to say, as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. You will know what it is. Then he says, look, they're servants. Suddenly he talks about servants. He doesn't even talk about any salvation here. The gospel of salvation must be preached and the end will come. Yes, I know. That's in Matthew 24 earlier. That's done, taken, okay? We get people saved. But after they are saved, what? We are servants. We are fellow soldiers. This is the passage we need to refer to. And then the disciples ask, who then is the faithful and a wise servant? Um, who is this? And Jesus then answers it himself in verse 45. He says, there will be servants, and as the master would come back, one will be ready and another will, be not, will not be ready. And so I give you three verses down here from the three synoptic gospels. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. What's it, what should he be doing? He should be doing his assignment. If you have a servant at home today and he's, he or she is not doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you, say, when you text and say, I'm coming home, they'll say, don't come home yet. 
Let me get the house in order before you come home, amen? I'm having a big party. Let me clean it up first. You see, faithful servants will welcome the master. Unfaithful servants will say, wait, don't come yet. And so sometimes I don't know if Christians understand when they, what, what, they, what they are saying when they say, Lord, please come now. If you're not ready, the Lord says, I'm gracious. That's why I'm waiting for the people to be ready. Luke chapter 12, blessed are those servants whom the master, when, the, when he comes, will find what? Watching. You see, you can't be watching if you're asleep. So you're watching, and you're doing, you're awake, and you're aligning, you're assigned. You say, Lord, anytime you come, I'm ready to give account. Therefore, in this way, you also be ready. See, Jesus defines readiness in a very different way than what culturally as a Christian we would proclaim. And then later on in Mark chapter 13, he says it's like a man that's going to a far country and he gave authority to his servants. Oh man, we like this one phrase, gave authority, hallelujah. But authority for what? And to each his work. Every time I talk about our keepers awakening, kingdom assignments, they will ask me later on, pastor, do you mean all of us, we have kingdom assignments? I say, well, it says to each. Do you belong in that each? Amen? To everyone, everyone. And so we will give account because of that. And today we tell our keepers, we define readiness in a very different way. We're looking at assignments. And I say that faithfulness determines readiness. It's not just believing in Jesus cognitively, because James says, if you have faith, show me by the works. If you're saved, and I don't deny, deny that, I don't doubt it one bit, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can't work for your salvation, but you must work from your salvation. And I say faithfulness determines readiness. If I'm found doing as he comes, I'm faithful. In Matthew chapter 25, then he goes on and talks about the parable of the servants. And right at the end, there's one phrase, and we're going to close with this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, how many of us here desire to hear this one line? Amen. And we'll just keep your, keep your hand up. And I don't want you to be shy. If you desire to hear this one line, well done, good and faithful servant, just keep your hand up there. Praise the Lord. Then I ask the next question, how many of us deserve to hear this line? And all of our hands will go down because I can't judge you, you can't judge me. A servant can only give account to the master, only the master will evaluate. Is that amen? amen? You see, but to desire this one line doesn't mean we deserve this one line. Salvation is by faith and through grace. We don't deserve that at all. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. And the rewards that come, we must be deserving of those rewards. Makes two different points. And I tell pastors today, will you preach salvation and will you preach rewards and help the people understand the difference? Salvation is a free gift in Jesus Christ. But rewards are to be earned. Is that correct? I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know how I'm doing. I'll only know when I meet with him. But along the way, we help one another, you see. We awaken one another. We help each other. Brother, sister, will you be aligned? Come on, guys, you know. Let's not play games. This life is so short. We have all eternity to glory with Jesus. And so as I close this first session, man, I've taken too much time. Can I give you that verse once more? Will you read this with me, Colossians 4.17? Huh? 
and say to our keepers, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you're stirring within us again, Lord, an understanding of what it means to be ready for you. And I pray, Lord, that it's not to be a tinge of condemnation in anything that I've declared, but we know it's by your grace that you want everyone to be ready to meet with you. And so we commit even the rest of this time to you as we process it and go even deeper. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.